A governor's plan for humanitarian relief and vocal opposition within his own party. There was always more speculation than suspense, and the senior senator from Arkansas has ended both. From the wealthiest family in the nation, a new initiative for improving health care in its native state. But first, and along those lines, illness in our state. Two dozen deaths, dozens more serious illnesses, and most, if not all, preventable. An update on the intersection of health and public policy, coming up on Arkansas Week. Support for Arkansas Week provided by the Arkansas Democrat Gazette, the Arkansas Times, and KUAR-FM 89. Hello again, everyone. Thanks very much for joining us. Republican pushback to a Republican governor's proposal for refugee resettlement. A Republican U.S. senator pushes ahead for another term in 22, even as his colleague cruises to re-election in 20. And after reshaping retail across the nation, can the Waltons do the same for health care? Those stories in a moment. First, we return to a story that we've been tracking for months. Serious, but sometimes, and sometimes fatal, but usually preventable illnesses. Measles, mumps, and the flu. But there's been a disturbing shift in the disease demographic. The mortality rate from influenza in Arkansas has climbed not so much among those normally regarded as the most vulnerable, but among the very young. And we're joined by Dr. Gary Wheeler, who is the Chief Medical Officer of the Arkansas Department of Health. Doctor, thanks very much for coming back to our table. Great to be with you, Steve. It's the young that are that are fought that are would seem to be, in this season at least, the most susceptible to flu. Right. So we're seeing Every year there's a little bit of a distribution difference between what ages of people become more affected by influenza. And a lot of that has to do with the pattern of viruses that are circulating. And this year, particularly in Arkansas, we've seen a very high number of what are called the B strain of influenza viruses. And those tend to hit children a lot harder. They are the more at risk than the elderly, which we've long accustomed, were the most, or those with respiratory. Right. Yeah. So uh, ordinarily, we'll see most of our mortality in those people who are 65 and older. And this year, that's a relatively small number of cases, and uh, the the deaths have not been so prominently in that group. Now, if you look nationally, we're seeing a higher number of pediatric deaths than we would typically see at this point in the outbreak. Now, remember, we're still at the beginning of the outbreak. There's a lot more to come over the next couple of months, so the patterns may change as we go forward. But we have seen at least one pediatric death in Arkansas and multiple across the country. Well, and and the season actually extends into spring. It does. Usually the flu season lasts about two to three months. And this particular outbreak that we're seeing looks very much like the last two years where we've seen cases go all the way into April. Well, what, have we dropped the ball, so to speak, I, I mean, as a society of parents? So uh, a lot of the impact of flu depends on how well we prepare for it. 
So do we develop each year, and we have to do it every year in a new way, a new vaccine that will be effective against the strains that we predict will circulate during the flu season. So this work begins in the spring, and it's based on the strains of virus that are circulating around the world. And based on what's going on in Australia and the Southern Hemisphere and in Asia, we make decisions as a, as a country uh, to put certain strains of virus in the flu vaccine. This year, there are four strains. One of the, we have two B strains, but unfortunately, the B strain that's most commonly circulating right now is not as perfectly matched as we would like to what's actually circulating at the moment. So we are seeing more uh, people afflicted with the B strain of virus. Is it too late? Here we are in mid-January, right. is it too late? Absolutely not. Uh, the, we are still on the upswing in terms of the peak of cases. And so people should be getting their vaccines now if, they're, if they haven't done so. And there are certain groups that really need to get them. You mentioned that the typical vulnerable people have not yet been heavily afflicted. But the strains of virus that are circulating can change during the next two months. And if you're over 65 or have any chronic illnesses, or if you're pregnant, you absolutely need to go in right now and get a flu vaccine. And the very young, adolescents and younger. Yes. So actually, we recommend annual immunization for all children over six months of age. But you're exactly right. It's that uh, group from 6 to 18 and 18 to 24 young people who uh, typically are pretty resistant to infections but can catch the flu and where we're seeing a few more deaths and complications this year. On the broader measure of the uh, subject of, of, of immunizations, we're seeing a resurgence in diseases that we thought we had conquered, right. particularly of late in Arkansas, mumps, right. measles. Right. So the mumps outbreak that we had uh, largely focused in northwest Arkansas a couple of years ago uh, kind of went away, but it was substantial. We had literally thousands of people that were afflicted with mumps, and we've seen it reoccur this year uh, with a focus around the University of Arkansas Fayetteville campus, where we've had uh, somewhere around 37 uh, cases so far. Uh, and, you know, people are asking, why are we doing that? Because in this case, as far as mumps goes, we've got a fairly well-immunized population. It's not fabulous, but it's pretty well, pretty well immunized. And so we're seeing that we actually have to give an additional vaccine in those communities to stop the outbreak. We learned this in the outbreak two years ago. It wasn't quite clear what public health should do. We discovered in Arkansas that by giving a third vaccine in settings where people were likely to be exposed to an active case, we were able to see an evidence that the outbreak was curtailed. And that seems to be happening again in Fayetteville. We have not had another case since mid-December because of the incredible cooperation we've gotten from the chancellor and staff and students on that campus. We have uh, given hundreds and hundreds of immunizations there, and it seems to have stopped the uh, outbreak at this point. We're still waiting. There, there, there is often a collision or a conflict, let's put it that, put gently, between public health policy, clinical policy, mm -hmm. and uh, political attitude, social, cultural attitude. Sure. Is that at work now, again? I don't think it's so much at work in around mumps and other traditional vaccines. Where we're seeing it the most is around the HPV vaccine. This is the vaccine that is given to adolescents, uh, basically when they turn 10 to 11, 
and it's a vaccine designed to prevent cervical and oral pharyngeal cancers. It is incredibly effective. It is not required in school, as all the other vaccines are, because it's not a typical uh, communicable disease that would be spread by aerosol or respiratory secretions, that kind of thing. It's spread by any kind of mucosal contact, specifically sexual contact. And we've uh, started giving this vaccine at 10 to 11. There's been a lot of pushback from families to say, well, my child is not sexually active. They don't need that vaccine yet. And our approach has been, the public health approach has been, they're gonna see that kind of contact. Why not give them the vaccine now before they acquire viruses that ultimately will lead to cervical cancer and oropharyngeal cancer? So there has been a little bit of a pushback. There's been a couple of states that have required it for school admission, but most states have not done that at this point. In, 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 in New Jersey, I think just a couple of days ago, rejected the New Jersey General Assembly legislature rejected an attempt to repeal, I believe, a religious exemption law. Right. As uh, a clinician, your thoughts, right. not just on New Jersey, but of course the... the right, country. right. So um, what you're talking about are, are what we call non-medical exemptions. So if you're allergic to a vaccine, we don't want you to get it because you can have an anaphylactic response and die. But there are people who are asking for exemptions based on religious or philosophical basis. These are what are called non-medical exemptions. So there are multiple states now that have passed laws to do that. Um, Maine is one of the states that we've worked with, and they're having a people's veto because the legislature passed a bill that said we're going to get rid of non-medical exemptions. There's been an influx of people who are now pushing back on that, and there's a ballot initiative which will, uh, will run this spring that will determine whether they take that restriction away. At this point, the polls are in favor of the people who are pro-vaccine, but we'll see what happens. Well, you're a clinician, so I, I'm only guessing as to your, your philosophy. <laughs> well, uh, my philosophy and the philosophy of the Department of Health is that people need to get their vaccines and that the, uh, the benefits of immunization to the individual as well as to the community far outweigh um, any other risks that are medical or otherwise. Uh, and uh, people's objections that are philosophical, uh, I, I do understand that. That's a thread that runs through the history of public health and the history of our country. People want to be independent and make their own decisions. We're happy with them making their own decisions, but we hope that they'll decide to get immunizations. Whatever the vaccine, flu, measles, mumps, whatever, HPV, uh, I don't have insurance. I don't have a whole lot of money in my pocket. Right. Do I go without? So for children, they can get an immunization if they need it. Uh, if they have insurance, uh, the public health department will bill them for their insurance. If they are Medicaid, uh, they're covered. Uh, we have programs to cover people who are underinsured. Uh, all children, all children are eligible for those programs. So no child should go unvaccinated if their family wants them to be vaccinated. Adults? Adults are a little bit different. Uh, in an outbreak setting, we have funds to immunize adults if they don't have money. We don't have funds if they are coming in for preventive type immunizations apart from influenza. Uh, we do receive money from the state of Arkansas to carry out mass uh, clinics for influenza vaccines every year. And we've completed uh, those at this point. Dr. Gary Wheeler, thanks very much for coming in. Lovely to see you. And come back soon. Okay, thanks, Steve. And we'll be right back.
And we're back, and we're joined by Doug Thompson of the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette, Steve Brauner, an independent journalist. Gents, thanks for coming in. Steve, conflict between this Republican governor and this Republican General Assembly are not unprecedented, but this latest one got a bit pointed in committee. Uh, this is the most I've ever seen, the most conflict I've ever seen in public, for sure. Even despite all, even with all the, the the conflict over the Medicaid expansion, this was even more. And in fact, it got personal a little bit. Right. Uh, the, the, last year, the Trump administration said that states could choose whether or not to accept refugees. Mm-hmm. Now, refugees are not immig- immig- immigrants; these are people who have faced some kind of persecution or, or, or hardship, or or they have assisted U.S. forces overseas, and they're they're allowed to come to America. They go through a very strict vetting process. And, and the Trump administration said that states could choose whether or not to accept them. Uh, almost all states have said yes. In fact, only Texas has said no. A few have not yet said which, one way or the other. And on December 23rd, Governor Hutchinson said, we'll take them. Uh, it's about 50 a year, 55 to a, a year, 50 to 55 a year. Uh, about the, the majority of them come from the Congo, actually. Um, and so uh, this did not sit well with some legislators. And so the governor was called before the uh, a joint meeting of the House and Senate City, County, and Local Affairs Committee on Monday and explained his reasoning, saying that the Trump administration has limited refugees compared to previous administrations. It's tightened the vetting process and, 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 and limited it to those kinds of people, people who face religious persecution or who have assisted U.S. counterterrorism efforts. Um, he, he pointed out that four years ago he had opposed a refugee resettlement of Syrians, but this was different. And so uh, and he said that, that's, that refugees tend to be uh, uh, self-sufficient pretty quickly and, and, and are well-vetted. Uh, but there were three senators who were very much opposed to this. One, Senator Gar- Trent Garner from El Dorado. He pointed out that they can, they can settle anywhere they want to, basically, uh, within a 100-mile radius of the county or city that accepts them, along with the uh, Hutchinson's uh, acceptance were letters from the Washington County judge and the mayors of Springdale and Fayetteville. So theoretically, that's where they would go first, but then they could leave. And in fact, the governor admitted that they could go, or acknowledged that they could go anywhere, even out of state, once they got here. This is a free country. Uh, Senator Gary Stubblefield uh, made the, the, the usual arguments against this, that, that you know, ultimately that there's federal taxes involved, that, uh, that the refugees can qualify for public benefits, and that some could be a threat. He also said that, you know, this country is changing, and he wonders where, how the changes are occurring. And, and uh, you know, the refugees, are, I guess, are a part of that change, even though there's only 50 of them who are going to be here. And finally, Senator Terry Rice from Waldron uh, said, you know, he, he ex- expressed disappointment that, that uh, legislators were not informed of this decision beforehand. And he also said, uh, pointed out, he brought up uh, that uh, the governor had taken his son on an economic development trip to China, last year, and or that, that, that uh, Ace Hutchinson III had gone on that trip, and he pointed, he said, so does, does he have any financial relationship with the group that, ex, that works with the refugees? It was a very pointed question that, frankly, didn't have anything to do with the refugees, but it was very personal. Um, and it was, a, it was a, you know, there has been conflict between Republican legislators and the governor, but this was a different level. Uh, over an issue that is very personal and passionate. Um, in politics, in the United States and everywhere, including Great Britain, often the biggest issue is what to do about the others. And refugees are the others. And you can paint it as fear, or you can paint it as 
just caution or just a desire for things to stay the, to stay the same. But that's really what this was about in many ways. You know, what do we do about the others? And then also looking forward, you know, the governor has been in the office now for a, a while. The Republican revolution is now, it's not longer a revolution. It's, it's done. It's settled in. They're yeah. here. And it's time for factions to develop yeah. just as they existed with the, with the Democrats for 150 years. And I think you saw a little bit of that this week. Doug Thompson. You know, the, the complaint was that, that the governor, you know, pulled it, that they didn't know this was happening and it's some big surprise. And, you know, I, I should be mildly offended because I covered the first meet, public meeting of Canopy Northwest Arkansas. Yeah, Canopy. Canopy is one of the is one of the groups that brings them in. Right. The other is Catholic Services. It was a front page story with pictures. I mean, and it wasn't a small front page story either. It was fifty two point seven inches. I checked the archives. There are adults I know shorter than that story was. This is no secret. This was nothing sprung on anybody. It was entirely within the governor's discretion. The president didn't ask the Arkansas legislature or anybody else. They asked the governor. And, you know, much as I hate to toot any politicians torn, let's talk about who Governor Asa Hutchinson is. He is a guy who gave up his dream job of being the, of running the Drug Enforcement Administration or to um, help found and create and put, cobble together the, the Homeland Security where he was a high-ranking deputy director. And in that 2016 story I mentioned earlier about uh, one of the people I quoted was Senator Tom Cotton, a man not known for his blasé attitude about national security risk. He said, and I'm quoting him here, that there are some of these refugees he'd like to have as a neighbor in Dardanelle. I'm sorry, but the idea that this is all some thing that was just sprung on everybody, but to be fair, say say the word refugees in front of um, any Arkansan of a certain age, uh, or Arkansan of a certain age, and they're going to think of 20,000 boat people at Fort Chaffee. Yeah. Where does that is not what we're talking about here. In, in Canopy's entire three-and-a-half-year existence, they have settled 172 refugees. Not, not, that's not 172 refugees and their families. That's 172 people. 25 to 30 people a day move to northwest Arkansas just to get a job or whatever. We are literally talking about one week's worth of people in three-and-a-half years. I mean, it's a dribble. Where does it stand now, and what's just ahead? Well, we're going the to resettlement. Let, this this particular it's a done slice deal. of the resettlement. It's a done deal through the year. Yeah, through December thirty first, and then the, the governor yeah. said we will re reevaluate at that point. But he said he hoped it continues. And that's the important point. He can end it. He can end it at any time. He literally talked with the head of the Department of Homeland Security about this, about his concerns, and he was satisfied. So, you know, like I say, I usually don't, don't, wouldn't defer to the governor, but I think the real issue here is that legislators were, were annoyed that they weren't consulted more than, than uh, anybody could have Googled Canopy Northwest Arkansas and gotten most of their questions answered. Anyway. Got to move on. All right. Impeachment, too. You, you mentioned Mr. Cotton, Mr. Bozeman. They are now jurors. 
Yes. Uh, Mr. There was some speculation, and I, I, I never regarded it as much more than that, that Mr. Bozeman would choose to step down after two Senate terms. No, he made clear. I, the idea of three suits him pretty well. I've heard, and you two probably have too, rumors that he was going to step down since the first time he ever got elected to the House, much less to Congress. <laughs> I mean, I've heard that rumor every election year, that he's not running next time. And he just keeps plugging right along. Yeah. Um, anyways. As far as the impeachment go, both seem to be at this time pretty firmly in Mr. Trump's corner, uh, although Mr. Bozeman seems to have left himself a bit more wiggle room, if you want to call well, it. Lots of hear witnesses. Yeah. He flat out said that, look, we're going to hear witnesses. I just don't see how we can avoid it. There is one thing, it's kind of tangential, but there is one thing I want to mention about impeachment in Arkansas senators. There was an article, there were articles coming out of Washington saying that one of the reasons the president uh, ordered the strike on that Iranian general was because he was trying to shore up support among the Iran hawks in the Senate for the sake of impeachment. And some of those articles mentioned Senator Tom Cotton by name. I don't think the president spends a whole lot of his time or should spend a whole lot of his time wringing his hands wondering how Tom Cotton is going to vote in impeachment. If there's any truth to that story at all, uh, my guess would be is it's a better, sh better sign of how paranoid the president has become than any actual concern about how Tom Cotton's going to vote. Yeah, Steve? <laughs> well, Senator Bozeman, actually, he's, he, back in July, he said he was probably going to run again. Mm -hmm. uh, this kind of was a more of a direct statement uh, about his intentions. Uh, he is in line to be the Senate Agricultural Committee chairman. That would be a big deal uh, yes. for him and for the state. The, uh, I think you know, he, is, he would be 72 uh, when he would start his next term. So while he's making it clear that he plans to run, I think it, it also would depend on maybe what happens over the next two election cycles. If he is that age and... He's looking at a Democratic-controlled Senate and a Democratic-controlled House and a Democratic president. That might change his calculation. If he's looking at, then he wouldn't be Senate Agricultural Chairman. But if re Republicans hold firm in the next couple of elections, I think that would very, very, also, very much also move him in the direction of, of, of running again. And finally this, the Walton family, Doug, yes. Alice Walton in particular, mm -hmm. wants to do what? with this pilot program that she unveiled this past week? Well, what she does not want to do is, is supplant um, uh, any existing health care institutions. What she announced was she <coughs> wants to, to, to fund, she's going to fund an institute to find ways to encourage people to take more charge of their own health, not to go to their doctor with their aches and pains, but to say, you know, to, to make a goal out of being more healthy instead of treating specific conditions. And then she's right. There's a tendency of the health care system, and everybody knows it. Alice Walton didn't invent this. It's reactive. Hey, doctor, I've got this, that, or the other thing, and then they, they prescribe a medicine for you. Um, that's what she's trying to do. She's going she's to launch this institution. We don't know many details yet. We don't know um, where. We know it will be in Bentonville. They're going to study ways to encourage people to basically live a healthier lifestyle without nagging them, you know, just to, to, to encourage them to do that. And uh, she's brought in a, someone who was very successful at this 
in the Veterans Administration. Basically, we're talking, Doug, about what she's going to emphasize preventive, the program would emphasize preventive health, preventive care. Both preventive health and a more inpatient involved, for instance, the example used, and she didn't just tell nice, true stories, but the example used, there was a patient who had a chronic condition, and it was always, okay, how do we treat their condition? And then she said one day, you know, I want to climb Mount Kilimanjaro in Africa, and I want to do it within in two years. And that changed, that goal-oriented approach changed the whole outlook of how we're going to do it, and, she, and, and it was no cure-all. It was a rigorous program of, okay, you're going to have to train, and you're going to have to do this, um, relieve stress, and you're going to have to you know, make some major changes in your life. But she accomplished it. That's the sort of thing they're trying to encourage. Um, we'll see what what form it takes. But like I said, the main thing is she's going to cooperate with local hospitals. She's going to cooperate with local doctors. She's going to try to bring them on board. And um, that's the goal. In the pilot program in the VA, the cost of patient care for those patients went down by 24%. But the more important thing is they had better health care results while the general population at the same time costs went up 6%. We will continue to monitor it and expect you back to uh, bring us up to date. Finally tonight, in keeping with a long-standing Arkansas Week tradition, ladies and gentlemen, we would like to introduce you to a future (laughs) Arkansas Week panelist, Hope Renee Brauner. Welcome to your world. Hope Renee arrived just a few days ago. Uh, several days beyond <laughs> beyond her due date, but anyway, at eight pounds and five ounces, she is said to be doing fine, as is mom. Dad, how are you doing? Well, I'm okay. I'm okay. We're getting, you know, I, I, we're sleeping okay, thanks to thanks to mom's, you know, responsibilities. So I'm I'm doing fine, but we're having a wonderful time, and, and the hope is great, and the, we're just happy to have her here. Congratulations thank to you, you and the entire Brauner family. Guys, thanks to you for coming in. Hope, Renee, thanks to you for being here. And we'll see everybody next week. Support for Arkansas Week provided by the Arkansas Democrat Gazette, the Arkansas Times, and KUAR-FM 89.